Hey, what's up? This is Seth Mosley, host of the Full Circle Music Show. Thanks for listening. This week we got a great guest. His name is Paul Duncan. In fact, you may have heard of him from his own podcast that he does on iTunes called Songcraft. Phenomenal podcast. You should check it out. He's co-written with new exploding artists Jordan Feliz and Lauren Daigle. He tells us about how he grew up around music in Nashville and stumbled into writing after listening to Elton John in high school. Tells us about his move to L.A., meeting Al Kasher, who mentored him as a writer, and got him in on a fluke radio cut, which was his first country single. And so he's going to tell us a little bit about his story, talk about Songcraft, the success he's been having with that. But before we dive into the episode, the answer to last week's trivia question, who won the album of the year at the 2016 Grammys? Well, the answer is 1989 by Taylor Swift. So whoever got that right and sent their response to trivia at fullcirclemusic.org, you are going to take home a copy of Music, Money, and Success. It's an awesome book. In today's tip of the week, we learn a little bit about this from Paul Duncan in today's episode. But for those of you guys who are living in a small town, maybe can't find somebody to co-write with or collaborate with, don't let location hold you back. He talks about doing co-writes over Skype and FaceTime, and he's actually got his first cut in Christian music over a Skype co-write. So tip of the week is go download Skype, get FaceTime, find somebody, and try to do a co-write that way. I think it's a great way to get connected. One other awesome thing to announce, this week launched our very first intro to songwriting course. It's up on Skillshare. Go check it out. If you go to our website at fullcirclemusic.org, sign up on that front page. We'll send you a link to the free course. We've got over 100 students already just in the first day of signing up. People have been posting their projects, posting really good feedback. And I would love for you to be one of the next ones. Again, it's totally free. We're not selling anything whatsoever. It's just my attempt to pull back the curtain a little bit on my 12 years of music and songwriting experience and hopefully add some value in your journey in creating music and learning to write songs. So again, just go on Skillshare, go to fullcirclemusic.org, and you can download it there. And without any further ado, let's dive into the episode. We have Paul Duncan not here with us in the studio, but here with us in spirit, (laughs) coming to us from Los Angeles. Yeah, the outer reaches, this part of the sprawl. What part of LA are you in? Redondo Beach. Oh, I love Redondo. Yeah, I know you know it well, Chris. Absolutely. Go ahead down to the pier right now. Yeah, it's a little cold, but we could do that. Love the crepes at Redondo Beach. (laughs) Actually, I I have no idea what Redondo Beach is. (laughs) But Paul Duncan, in case you haven't heard of him, is an awesome songwriter and host of his own podcast called Songcraft, which is an incredible show. Both me and Chris have been just diving into that. Absolutely great interviews with world-class songwriters. So make sure you check that out. Yeah, he's, he's a great host, great songwriter. I've had the privilege of writing with him recently with a, a new artist that's blowing up called Jordan Felice, and he had some cuts with him, had some cuts with Lauren Daigle. Yeah, we're kind of just here today to hear a little bit of your story, Paul. So why don't you awesome. uh, give us the, the bird's eye view of how did you get into music and what brought you to the level of success that you're at today? Yeah, wh- whatever level that is, but... Uh, um, <laughs> I'm probably one of the few guys that you will meet in this business that actually grew up in Nashville. I was born in northern Alabama and then spent most of my growing up schooling years in Nashville. So just surrounded by music all the time. It seemed like 
you know, my parents' church and, you know, friends down the road. It seemed like a ton of people were in the music business. So it, it never seemed like a ridiculous thing to do. It actually seemed kind of like a normal profession. Yeah, I took piano lessons as a kid and the whole thing. And, but I didn't really start to get excited about music until I was listening to classic rock radio in like junior high and heard Elton John for the first time. And just, I was a piano player, and so that music just nailed me. So I went out and got the greatest hits, and then when I burned through the greatest hits, then it was like, I'm going to go get this album and this album. So I just kept buying one album after the other. They used to have these things called record stores, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one that we would go to was called Cats, and it's down there. It's in, it was in Brentwood, right near where like there's the Kroger, and I think it's like a Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. So like there was like a little strip mall down there, and that's where I used to go and get my music. And I would just sit and put the headphones on, listen to the cassette tape, and try to learn every song on the album. And then when I was done, I would go get the next record. And pretty soon I was noticing tendencies in the songs, and I would notice that he would use the same chord progression here and there. And I kind of just stumbled in into writing. I was like, oh, well, may maybe I can do this. And went to college, played piano for a gospel choir when I was there, and that was a great education for me, just kind of learning about chords and modulations and learning by ear and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then started a band when I was in college, moved out to California. For some reason, I never thought about coming back to Nashville, which is the kind of the most ridiculous thing ever. But Southern California is a pretty attractive place to a 22-year-old kid coming out of college. And I've never looked back. Just been here kind of like finding my way around little musical avenues wherever I can, you know? It's weird to me. I also grew up in Alabama, the suburb of Montgomery, uh, in a town called okay. Prattville. And to me, the four-hour drive to Nashville seemed like a whole world away. So I, I think you growing up in northern Alabama versus me in central Alabama, it seemed like a whole other world to me. Yeah. How soon or how young were you when you started going up to Nashville or you actually moved up here? Well, my parents moved up when I was three. So oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, my whole growing up years were in Nashville. So, but then I left, you know, to go to college. And I didn't start coming back to write and to try to kind of be a, a part of what was going on there musically until... Man, it's probably 2003. So I was out here in LA for five years, just kind of slogging it out and had, you know, what most people would call a chance meeting. I mean, I, I knew it was God kind of helped me meet this guy named Al Kasha, who's a, an older songwriter. He had written a bunch of stuff in the 60s and 70s and ended up actually playing for his Bible study. And, hmm. and after like, you know, kind of getting to know him a few times, he sort of took me under his wing as a, as a writer and invited me to be a part of a country session that he was writing which I was so green, I had no idea how the whole thing worked. But it seemed like next thing I knew, that song had made it to the radio. And it was one of those kind of just incredible turns in the life of a songwriter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a thing, this kind of commercial songwriting thing for other people. And it's happening in Nashville, and I should be going back there. So, um, you know, after years of kind of trying to do the artist thing and play for other bands, I started to kind of put my head into what it was going to mean to to write for artists and to write for other projects. And so I started coming back to Nashville about three or four times a year around that time. So your first song that was on the radio, what was your first single? It was called Streets of Heaven. Um, the artist is Cherie Austin. And we wrote it with her out here in L.A. It was my first co-write. And it was, it was fun. We told a story. It was exactly what the way I wanted to write. You know, we, it's about a a little girl who's in the hospital and she's kind of, you know, not doing well. And so it's a prayer from a mother about God, you know, 
hopefully sparing the life of this child. Just a total, real tearjerker. I've played it at writer's rounds, and it just kind of like, kind of just empties the room. It's really sad. Hmm. Empties like everybody leaves? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't even want to hear any music after this. I <laughs> well, that's, um, let, let me stop you there, because you said that was your very first co-write ever. Yeah. And that was your first single ever. Yeah. That's pretty rare. It's incredibly rare, and I didn't realize at the time how, how crazy rare it was. I think it took about the next 10 years of, you know, difficulty and beating my head against the wall to realize how crazy it was that that song had found its way, you know, to being a single, and it actually it charted, and so it, it turned out to be, you know, kind of a life changer for me. I was, at the time, I was doing a lot of odd jobs and up on roofs trying to paint. I'm the world's worst painter. Um, <laughs> a roof is a good place to be a bad painter though because not nobody yeah sees i it. think it was god's way of sparing the homes in southern california from me <laughs> <laughs> to, to put me into music that's incredible i i know my first co-write was definitely not a single <laughs> well i think every other co-write you've had is though right and <laughs> <laughs> second and third no definitely not we did an interview with another writer jason ingram who told us his story about his first 200 songs that he wrote wow. did, did nothing. Yeah. And that was two years of just grinding away. So, I mean, that had to be a little bit surreal at the time. And is it kind of just one of those things where it's like, you know, you got your first single, you're on fire, and then every just thing just starts coming in the door? Or I'm guessing you had to kind of keep grinding it out, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I had to start grinding it out in a really new way. I mean... You know, up to that point of having written that song, I had been in a band and we toured around kind of grassroots-wise for three years and had been trying to kind of make our way in the world. And one of the things that people kept telling us is like, hey, what you guys are doing is, is really cool. We should hook you up with some of our writers. And I was so naive that I didn't understand that that was a good thing. I thought that was people telling me, hey, you're not good enough. You need help. Uh. So I, I kind of blew that off for years. I'm embarrassed to even say that, but I was just like, no, 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 I want to do it. I want to do it my way. And I'll go back and write another six-minute song and see if you guys like it. And <laughs> clearly, that's not, that's not the way it's going to work. Um, and when I finally found myself in my first co-writing situation, man, I just breathed this sigh of relief. I just realized, you mean I don't have to do the whole thing? And other people have these great ideas? This is amazing. So I, I kind of immediately regretted all those years of, of turning down co-writes. So yeah, like you said, I, I had to start kind of slogging it out. And it was... I mean, it was a while before I even got another cut. And I was spending money on plane tickets, flying back and forth, you know, working on demos by myself, spending money on demos. And, it, it, you know, it can get kind of disheartening, especially when you've felt what it's like to have a song doing well. Sure. To then all of a sudden be like, wait a minute, what's going on? So it's definitely been a real learning process. And it, uh, most of the learning has been about patience and, and waiting you know, even more so than the musical things I've learned. You started out writing songs for yourself and then performing, and then you had that early success. And now looking back on your career so far, have you found there's a sweet spot when it comes to the style or the genre or the type of song that you excel at writing versus another? Probably. I love to try to, like, consider myself somebody who can be a part of anything. You know, I want, sure. I want to be a chameleon and... But I do think that, that when it comes down to introspective songs, you know, songs that are 
are heartfelt and, and honest and sometimes maybe, what's the word? You know, just dealing with the push and pull of life, I, I don't write invariably positive all that well. Mm. I, I tend to write things that have the, some of the, the pain of life in them. And I think that's lyrically someplace I go to. I, I like the twist of life and looking at how sorrow and joy can exist at the same time. Yeah. And then musically, you know, I, I love writing songs that kind of feel like hymns. Those tend to just kind of flow out of my fingers a little easier, you know. But that's the thing I love about co-writing is being with people that, that have other strengths and, and bring other things out of me, you know. From a co-writing perspective, for those that are listening out there that don't have a lot or any co-writing experience, what does a typical day look like for you when you're co-writing, whether in Nashville or there in Southern California or may, anywhere else you may land? Well, it usually involves, you know, it starts before I get to the co-writing, where I kind of go through my laptop, I go through my phone, and I look at all these snippets of ideas that I've collected along the way. Because, you know, for me, a, a write doesn't start at 10 a.m. It starts in the weeks before when I'm watching movies and writing down things hmm. that interest me or reading a book, something, some line catches my eye. So I'll go through all those before I get to the session and try to pick four or five that I think are appropriate for the artist or co-writer that I'm working with. Because I never want to walk in just empty-handed. To me, the, the sight of a blank page is really scary. <laughs> so that's the first thing. And then, you know, honestly, I think the more I do this, the more I realize how much the relational aspect of songwriting is super, super important. So I love even spending time just getting to know the other writer because trust is so, so important. When you're going to throw out ideas, uh, you, you know, you're going to throw out things that may make you sound silly or stupid. And if you can build friendship and rapport with the person that you're writing with, I feel like it makes those, those risky moments much, much easier. So sometimes I'll find myself spending a lot of time just hanging out with my co-writer. And I would say that more often than not, honestly, the song comes out of that conversation and some of those ideas that I even brought in just get left behind because the time we spend together will spark an idea. And then, yeah, it just happens different ways. Sometimes I'll rush over to the piano or sometimes I'll pick up the guitar and sometimes... If you're working with a producer that has, you know, has a beat in mind or something like that, then you'll kind of just go with that. But it, I try to be as adaptable as I can to whoever I'm working with. Hmm. So if you've got a four-hour co-write session that's sitting in front of you, you don't feel like it's a wasted moment if you spend the first 30 minutes or an hour with your guitar in your lap and you guys are just kind of bantering back and forth until the muse hits, so to speak. I don't. I mean, you know, my... I, I really try to take a long view. I never want to write with anybody once. I want to create writing relationships. So I, sometimes I'm already looking at the second session, if, if that makes any sense. Sure. I, I want to build a relationship. And honestly, you know, from a God-centered perspective, sometimes he may put me in a room, not even to write the song with him, but he may put me in a room. Maybe there's something that we're going to say to one another that's going to affect each other positively. There have been a number of artists that I've written with and I've never gotten a cut on their records, but I still feel incredibly connected to what they're doing. And it, I don't know, for me, it's gratifying, even if that's all that comes from it, is that I made another relationship. Maybe I encourage somebody. I know that sounds ridiculous or like I'm making it up, but it, it honestly is kind of where, what God's been doing in me. No, that's great. Yeah. Just knowing a little bit of your story, you're in a little bit of a unique position in, in terms of you do all of your own publishing, is that correct? Yes. And just for, you know, no listener left behind, talk about what a publishing deal is and why 
you are doing it yourself? You know, a, a publishing deal would be when you sign up with a company and they would do a bunch of things for you, helping you set you up on co-writes, helping try to get your songs placed, and then also helping you collect the income in exchange for sharing in that income. So it's, it's one of those things that's really advantageous to a lot of writers and creating team that way. It's something, to be honest with you, that it's, it's not like I've spent my life just turning down deal after deal. It's just more been that I've found myself doing it on my own. There have been a couple of kind of close calls with companies that had seemed interested in certain moments, but they've never really materialized. So I just felt like, okay, I'll just I'll continue to do this. And it's, it's always just been kind of one friendship leading to another. For a while, that kind of freaked me out. And, and I thought, you know, nobody wants me. <laughs> um, but then I just sort of realized that's, that was sort of the way God worked it out for me. And it's been kind of cool in a way. I haven't had really anybody to answer to. And I've been able to kind of just set my own schedule as it goes. And I think it becomes hard when you have to sort of chase down the income when you realize, hey, I'm supposed to get paid on this, aren't I? And then you're just kind of emailing people and making calls. And that's where it gets difficult. And I, I do... You know, I know you and I have talked about this, Seth, really value the concept of team and working with a team. But I've also been happy to see the way it's kind of grown organically and slowly. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't know what the, what the future holds, but sure. it has, it's worked out to some degree so far. Sure. And do you have an admin deal, for, or are you literally doing all of that? I'm literally doing all of it, which, you know, for me, I, I don't have an extensive catalog I don't have a lot of songs that have been just overseas, giant, massive hits. And so the admin has been fairly easy to keep up with. I say that, and there's probably you know, tens of thousands of dollars that I have no idea about buried somewhere. But no, I, <laughs> I, I think it's, <laughs> so far it's worked out, but it does get irritating. People respond a little better to emails and calls from official sounding people. And uh, when just writers call them up, I think it's easy to get swept under the rug. Sure. And so for the people listening out there, I think what a good takeaway from, from this is, is that there's really not one right way to go about navigating a career in the music industry. Paul has definitely had a sustainable career, you know, pretty independently. And we know a lot of artists that do extremely well that way too. So we've talked to a lot of people on the label side. We've talked to some managers. We've talked to producers and writers who work with labels a lot, but I think Paul's story is really cool in the sense that he doesn't really just wait around for a team to come around him. He's just kind of made a career for himself. And there's something pretty awesome about that. And ultimately, whether or not you end up ever doing a deal, I think that's what publishers look for is people like Paul who are self-starters and are able to just go out and make things happen. So I think that's really cool, Paul. Uh. Uh, thank you. I, I think you're right about the way the industry is turning these days. I, I, you know, you see with artists and writers, people are getting signed and approached more because of their momentum than because of their potential. And it seems like maybe the old school model was, hey, you've got potential. We'll, we'll sign you and, and make an investment and see what happens. But the industry being what it is financially, I think companies are, are more wanting to see a little bit of a track record so they can feel comfortable about putting their investment into it. So, yeah, I, I encourage anybody... You know, even if you're in if you're in a small town somewhere, do what you can in your town, in your circles. Build what you can within your reach. Sometimes it's not always the best thing to just grab your suitcase and run to Nashville or LA or New York. 
and jump into that pond. But you know, create momentum where you can. And if you begin to make a big enough splash, if the industry is meant to find you, it, it will. Sure. Paul, what is your percentage of time that you spend in Nashville versus LA or elsewhere when it comes to co-writing or, or doing sessions? Do you find yourself on a plane a lot? And do you think that that's uh, good advice for other people as well? If, or is the majority of what you do there in Southern California? You know, I, I find myself, I'll come out to Nashville probably, probably four times a year. Gotcha. Um, for about a week or 10 days at a time, which is cool because there really is no substitute for being in a room with somebody and, you know, getting to know people. But I will say that I write a ton on Skype, you know, just FaceTime, Skype, Google Hangouts. In fact, probably 50% of the cuts I've had have been songs that were written on Skype. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, I think that's, yeah. that's good news for everybody who's listening in a rural small town of you know iowa or something and thinking well how do i find yeah, people to co-write with well just go find them there's the internet and that's amazing absolutely. yeah there's i mean we we're living in a world of connectivity like like we've never seen before and if you can find people that are willing to, to spend a couple hours with you they could be anywhere they could be in another country they could be in, in another city and if you want to write a great song there are people out there that are ready to write great songs with you more of a kind of a brass tax question. If someone wanted to do that today, what would you say is a, is a good workflow or a good Skype session uh, when it comes to songwriting? You're saying uh, maybe a couple of hours with you. Yeah. Maybe if you could well, give us kind of a, just a quick rundown of what that typically looks like for you. You know, in, in that situation, I find that I have to be a little more prepared and it's a little bit less of a just sit down on the couch and hang environment. So I, I tend to get down to business a little quicker on a Skype session. Plus, you never know when the connection is going to drop out on you. But, um, you know, and the other challenge is that there's a bit of a delay. So you have to understand that you're not going to be able to sing and play together and harmonize while you're playing. So the, I have to take a little bit more of a clinical approach, understanding that some of the just fun, organic elements of playing together aren't going to, aren't going to exist. But I, like, I mean, first of all, just on a very brass text level, I, I make sure that all my connections are working. I test my camera beforehand. I set up, you know, my Pro Tools and my controller and make sure that, you know, you can hear the speakers coming into my internal microphone, all that kind of stuff. And then I usually like to start those sessions with a little bit more of a realized idea because I know our time's going to be a little bit limited and, you know, we want something that's, that's going to feel good without having to be in the same room. But then from that point on, it, it actually just kind of moves just like a regular session. You know, you play something, they throw ideas back and forth. We'll often open a Google document between us, and you can see the other person typing as it's going on. After you've been there for about 30 minutes, you kind of forget that you're, that you're on Skype. Sure. Um, it starts to feel pretty good. Well, that sounds a lot like the, kind of like the process in studio nowadays anyways, because we're using Google Docs. I'm sitting on one couch. The artist is yeah. sitting across the room on another couch. We're both looking at the same Google Doc. We're both throwing out ideas. It's really the only thing separating you is a screen and yeah. a thousand I mean, miles we're all, we're all staring at our computers anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very personal way to write a song. <laughs> I think what's really funny about it, though, is there are people that I feel really tied to because of songs we've written together and, and I've had songs on their albums or whatever, and we've never met. I've never been in the same room with them. Wow. And that is a little, little bit of a strange feeling. You know, like... Uh, 
Meredith Andrews written a couple songs with her and, and Paul Mabry, and I've never been in the same room with Meredith, but I, I kind of feel like she's a friend. So touch on that a little bit. I mean, you know, you're independent in California. You've got a laptop and you've got a Pro Tools rig. How do you find an artist or a producer or a co-writer to connect with in the first place? For me, that is, you know, that has been the biggest patience game in the world because it has very much been one relationship leading to another. I, I mean, I can just sort of backtrack that one for you. I met a guy here in California named Devin DeVries who went on to work at Provident uh, in Nashville and kind of be a part of the Christian music industry there. But at the time, he was just a guy here. We went to the same church, and his wife, Becky, was doing a worship record. And he said, hey, I've heard you lead worship at church. Would you want to come write some songs with us? Yeah, so I went over to their apartment. We wrote some songs. It was great. But it, it wasn't with an eye on like a, a broader networking type thing at all. Fast forward a year or two later, they moved to Nashville. He got the job at Provident, and he said, hey, I've got this buddy, Paul Mabry. I'm bringing him out to L.A. Would you be willing to get together and write with him? So sure, I didn't know Paul Mabry at all. He happens to be a very successful producer and drummer in the world of Christian music, but I didn't know him. So he came out here and we wrote a country song, funny enough. Hmm. And just through getting to know him, Paul and I kind of hit it off that day in my apartment. And when he got back to town, he said, hey, I've got an artist I'm working with. You know, would you want to jump on Skype and write with her? And that's, so that's how that relationship with Meredith came about. And that was my first cut in the, in the Christian music world was writing with them. That's pretty awesome. So your first cut in the country space that was a single was your first co-write ever, and your first co-write that was a cut in the Christian world was over Skype. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's great, yeah. You're just making it happen. Y you know, just, I mean, my whole thing in music has been never say no to anything. Hmm. And I'd say yes and then learn how to do it. And that's been kind of my thing, what it's been playing with bands. I mean, I, I got... One guy called me and asked me, could I do like drum replacement on a live album? And I was like, totally. And then I got off the phone and I started Googling like drum replacement. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> and I bought this trigger software and I learned to use it. And um, yeah, I guess I did okay. You know, he didn't fire me. Um, so, you know, it's... Did he replace the replacement afterwards? Uh, they, you know, I think they ran out of time. So I think they had to keep my horrible triggering. No, I... <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's just been about being kind of like being available and being willing and being willing to, to do anything. And that, you know, sometimes that means working with the Nashville time zone, which can be weird. You know, y'all's 10 o'clock sessions are my 8 o'clock sessions. And, but if you love it enough and you don't, if you don't just want to be famous and important, but if you really love music and you really love making songs, there are a lot of ways to sacrifice and, and make that happen. I'm hearing you say there's no excuse. Is that, There's really not. Man. Is that, a, is that mean, a good summary? Yeah, it's um, you know, we're not all going to be famous. We're not all going to be household names. But if you want to make music and you want to write songs, you can do it. And if you want to write great music and you want to make great songs, you can do it. And I think that should be our our motivation anyway. I think you know, being famous is one of those kind of silly things. It's probably not that cool when people get to it anyway. Same thing with making a lot of money, right? Yeah. No money problems. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in today's world, there really is no excuse. And you still get to do it and go out your backyard and bike down the strand there in Redondo Beach. That's not a bad idea either. Yeah, it, I if I complained about my life living here in Southern California, somebody should come and slap me. <laughs> First world problems. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> West Coast problems. So let's talk a little bit about, because I'm fascinated 
by you know what's the story of songcraft your podcast how what made yeah. you want to get into that and why do you do that you know i mean i'm i'm a music geek i love talking about it i love reading about it and uh, a good buddy of mine is the same way he and i went to high school together we started our first band together back when we were 15 and he happens to live out in la now too and i was i was with him one day and i said you know man it would be cool to do this kind of thing where we interview songwriters and talk about it and talk about how you know the process and you know cause have the conversations that we have just record them and i i had no idea at the time that i was talking to the absolute perfect partner to do this with it and he just responded to me usually i have a lot of ridiculous ideas um <laughs> i throw them out all the time you know i have an idea that i'll share with the world right now it's probably already been done but it's it's a artificial christmas tree that you plug in and then it smells like a christmas tree like <laughs> you know maybe glade could make it or something i yeah. probably just gave away my million dollar <laughs> yeah i was That's gonna awesome. say that was pretty bold and uh well, you know why? It's because yeah. I know I'll never do it. Um, <laughs> I just secured the copyright and the patent for it, so yeah, you're I'll, not I'll able to do it unless you pay me. That may be the dumbest thing I've ever done. Anyway, <laughs> um, I have a ton of ideas that, I, that never come to fruition. And I'll just bring them up and we'll laugh about them. And I sort of thought that's what would happen here. Like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. And I said it to him, and he responded. He said, let's do it. And I was like, oh, wow, really? And then the next thing I knew, we were emailing back and forth this wish list of writers we could talk to. Mm. Um and it was fun. It felt like a fun project to do with my buddy. And then next thing you know, we were we were kind of shooting for the moon. And my, my initial idea had been to just talk with guys that we knew. And he was like, forget that, man. Let's get the Hall of Famers. Let's start hitting up their publicists. And so we started last January. Our first interview was with a guy named Jim Peterick who wrote Eye of the Tiger, which was incredibly exciting for me, having <laughs> grown up watching all the Rocky movies. And then we just kind of went from there. We've had 25 episodes in our first year and released it every other week. We talked to Desmond Child, who wrote the Big Bon Jovi hits. We talked to Bill Withers, who the artist of Lean On Me and Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. We just did an interview with Mike Stoller, who was part of the songwriting duo that wrote Hound Dog and Jailhouse Rock for Elvis and Stand By Me. So it's in a lot of ways, it's been this real just labor of love to sort of talk to some of our heroes and to to get into some of the history because you know people know the songs but not everybody knows the songwriters uh, and there's some fantastic stories behind the songs that we all know and love so when are you going to get somebody who's actually done something on your show <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i'll listen it's, man. Uh, it's pretty crazy man i i can attest and i would absolutely use this as a plug for songcraft because i am a big fan of the show and one of the things that I love most about it is the interviews and the chats are great, but the amount of work that you and your co-hosts put into researching and talking about the, the minutia that goes into uh, that, it, it's great. And so I, I applaud you guys for one, uh, having great conversations, but also really bringing me, the listener, into it further with the amount of research that you guys do on well, each of the interviews. Thank you for saying that. I would tell you that I, I spent uh, a lot of last night and this morning doing my research on our next interview for Monday morning with Mr. Seth Mosley. <laughs> so, you probably didn't I, find a whole lot, to be honest. <laughs> I, yeah, Your all-music page is pretty long, man. I'm, I'm familiarizing myself with the whole picture. Okay. What, I'm, what I'm really trying to dig up is like, you know, the sixth-grade talent show video or something <laughs> like that. I, that's what I want, but I'm, that is what I'm having trouble finding so far. So, Chris, if you can be any help for me with that, uh, that would be great. I will. I'm here in a studio, so I'll go snooping after we get finished with this interview here. <laughs> yeah. There is yeah. a, there is a video somewhere 
and if anybody's listening that might have this send it to us it is actually a sixth grade talent show wow where i was wearing it was me and a buddy we, we were doing a i can't remember if i think it was like a karaoke track of of dc talk jesus freak Nice. <laughs> and um it was me and my friend aaron and i think we were really just doing it no we were i think we were in fourth grade and we were trying to impress the sixth grade girls and, uh, <laughs> and we did jesus freak we both had wwjd shirts bracelets and backwards hats wow and i did all of uh i think i did tate's parts and he did toby's rap rap parts so. <laughs> you thinking you were actually singing this um, I think we were actually singing. I don't know if the, the front of house mix was well balanced, but it, it, there's a video of it somewhere. So if you can find that, you'll have something over my head. <laughs> I, I love the fact that even thinking back to fourth grade, you're wondering if the mix was well balanced. <laughs> back then, I, w- I was not thinking about that. I was thinking about the, the sixth graders that we were trying to impress. Yeah. To you're add. like, you know what? I don't think the kick is hitting the subs in here, guys. Can we <laughs> To, a little better. To add to that, uh, when I was in sixth grade, I uh, went to a, a, a camp, and uh, me and two of my buddies, uh, then known as BIC, Brothers in Christ, did Love yeah. is a Verb by DC Talk oh, yeah. for the uh, talent show. So Old uh, school. <laughs> well, uh, Paul, I'm looking forward to chatting with you, and uh, we really appreciate your time in doing this today. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the time hanging with you. Yeah, keep up the good work, the songwriting, and the Songcraft podcast. I, I, I'm a fan of everything, buddy. Hey, you guys too, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. Produced by Full Circle Music with editing help from Jericho Scroggins and Kaylee Ingram. Again, make sure you head over to fullcirclemusic.org. Click right there on the button on the front page. We'll send you an email with some info about taking our free Songwriting 101 course. And we hope to see you back again next week. Head over to iTunes and leave us a good rating and review.